Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, I'm Rachel Woody and I'm here with John Bradley and today is June 7th and we're here at his vineyard and winery. And my first question for you, John, is why wine? Why wine? Good question. Oh. Well, you know, obviously, I, when, I, when I first started this, I, I really was going to just grow grapes and sell grapes to wineries. And at the time, there were like a whopping six wineries in the Umpqua Valley. And uh, so I figured I could probably find a market for grapes. Um, of course, as time went on, I, I planted the vineyard in 83, and, uh, and I was involved with uh, the Wine Growers Association, the, the state level, um, for a while in the mid-80s, um, about the time that they were kind of really getting it together professionally to uh, represent the, uh, the wine industry. And, um, and, and then as more people got into it and wineries started popping up, it, it was like, wow, well, I, I guess I should get in on this end of the business as well. And mm. it wasn't something that I had intended to do. But, um, you know, it's uh, it just Oregon has been all about wine. And so it's like I've, I've got this uh, vineyard I should take advantage of the, you know, and, and when we planted the vineyard, we actually left this little corner of the property out there, you know, f for the eventuality that we did, in fact, want to get into the wine business and, you know, and, and needed a site. So mm -hmm. uh, I guess maybe it was in the back of my mind, but it wasn't until it, you know, really looked like it was going to be something that, you know, I got into wine. So. Mm -hmm. And what was your background getting into wine? Nothing, zero. I mean, um, I was in construction uh, in the 70s and up until the early, the recession of about 1980, 81. Um, and, um, you know, I always, always lived on, in rural properties, always gardened, always, you know, kind of farmed at some level. And um, it was, I, I had really no background uh, with grapes, but I just, I figured that, you know, um, I would learn as I went. And if I could grow a garden and I could grow, you know, ornamentals and I could grow things, I could grow grapes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it probably, I wouldn't advise that to people because, you know, uh, really at that time, that was, really before drip irrigation was a, um, a, a mainstay in the vineyards. Uh, it, was, it was fairly expensive actually in the early 80s. Uh, grow tubes, nobody even thought of those yet. Um, you know, at that time you, you were told that, you know, you could, you could have grapes in five years, you know. I managed to drag it out a couple more years just from, 
lack of knowledge and inexperience that did things wrong. It cost mm -hmm. me some time. Uh, now, a few years back, I planted an, a new block in 2000 and I put drip irrigation in it and I had grow tubes and, and we had grapes in probably four years or three years. I mean, it, it, but by that time I kind of had a better handle on what I was doing, you know, but I had nothing going in and, and um, I don't know at what point in <clears throat> time you all of a sudden go, well, you know, I, I guess I kind of know what I'm doing now. I, I guess this is, <laughs> I guess I got a handle on this because that's just, you know, that's, that's that learning curve, you know. And so um, I would suggest people research uh, a little more carefully than I did before jumping into a vineyard, but it's... But it's worked out. But it's worked out. It's worked out, yeah. And it was a it was a good lifestyle choice for me at the time. I wasn't working. the The economy was horrible. Um, our family was young. I could um, kind of be home. Uh, my wife was working, and uh, so you know I could like uh, get the kids out the door in the morning for school. I could be around when the bus came home in the afternoon. We avoided that whole daycare thing and, and all of that kind of thing that everybody needs to do, you know, or forced to do. Uh, so it was a good, it was a good choice for us to develop this vineyard and, and move in that direction at the time in our lives. Uh, worked out for everybody. And for this area specifically, were you familiar with Elkton or how did you arrive here? Well, I moved here in, in 1970, so I'd been in Elkton for um, 10, almost 11 years um, when we really got serious about doing the vineyard. And there was a vineyard that had been planted in Elkton in 72, um, and I knew the owner and, and I would help him at harvest and help him at different times of year. And um, so I, you know, I, listening to Ken, of course, he'd done a lot of research as to the microclimate and our latitudes with Europe and, and so forth and had, you know, proclaimed Elkton to be the best place in Oregon to grow grapes. You know, you, you listen to what you want to hear. I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but it, it is an ideal little microclimate for grape growing. And um, so when, again, when we we're kind of career changing there, penciling out the different um, potential, you know, Christmas trees, grapes, sheep, different things that were um, possible. Uh, grapes kept coming back to grapes, you know. Um, and um, so that was sort of how I made that decision. I could, I could do more with less land. Christmas trees was going to take mm -hmm. twice as much property and anyway, we just, you know, narrowed in on grapes. And, and like I said, it was fledgling at the time, really. 83, I was certainly not, you know, groundbreaking kind of thing, but still, they're old vine by most Oregon standards. They you know that's 80, 30 year, this is our 30th leaf this year, and we're sort of making a little bit of celebratory uh, note of that, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Who were some of the people already established in the Umpqua region that you'd worked with? 
Well, <clears throat> of course, Scott Henry, Richard Somers, um, and um, Bonnie and Philippe Girdet had planted. Um, John Marker had a uh, vineyard which is now, uh, well, became La Garza, became Spangler. Um, McCorkendale's down uh, the South Umqua, a little further down, he had a, 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 still has a vineyard down there. Uh, Dick Gates had a little vineyard out near Hillcrest. And God, there was another guy in the Melrose area with a vineyard. I can't think of his name. It was it was kind of a tight knit uh, little community. Um, Danino's had a vineyard uh, in Garden Valley, and um, you know the the original sort of little wine growers, the Umpqua Valley Wine Growers Association, was pretty much. Henry's, Giardet, Hillcrest, Danino. I was a grower involved. Ken Thomason and Bob Bingham, who grew, planted the first vineyard in Elkton, they were members. But it was, it was quite small, you know. Um, and um, B. Ellen, Paul B. Ellen, Paul and Mary, uh, they had a vineyard out near um, Giardet's, just up the road from Giardet's. And that and that might be pretty close to everybody yeah, that I, I can that remember. Yeah, I think that covers all the names we had on our list. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and, you know, it's like any other, it's, it's like the the whole industry, you know, so many people came from so many different walks of life and and they all had their own, either had been, you know, worked for themselves, you know, it was all a bunch of independent people with their own ideas and they, you know, it's like new... Uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, they, they knew they were right, what they were doing. I mean, it was like, was nobody's really asking a lot of advice, but they were giving a lot of advice, you know, um, <laughs> because we were very independent, you know, mm -hmm. all. And, and of course, you know, you get up north and you've got the same thing. All the people, the earlier people up there um, that um, are all just um, very independent people from all walks of life, you know, from all over the country. They'd come to Oregon to plant grapes, you know. It, it, uh, it's that whole romance thing, you know. <laughs> but you hear all the time. And, and when you're out there at, you know, 5.30 in the morning spraying grapes, trying to keep powdery mildew at bay and you're going, yeah, that's pretty romantic, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, and you, you, know, you can't emphasize that enough to people that are saying, oh, I, you know, I think I'll plant a vineyard. Yeah, well, <laughs> 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 it, it is a lot of work. Yeah, so. Speaking to the Oregon Wine Growers Association and what you guys got going on down here, can you speak to your involvement in it and, and where you've seen it grow? Well, yeah. Um, again, early on, and that was kind of, you know, my whole 
point was, of course, you, you're, you're, you're looking towards uh, marketing grapes, and so you want to meet and know as many people as you can in the industry and across the board. So you jump in and you get, you know, involved. And um, and I I did a, a number of years pretty. Uh, involved with the Umpqua Valley Wine Growers Association and a few years on the state board when, you know, the state board, that was before they had their offices at whatever Nadio Parkway place up in Portland, in Portland. you know, and God, there was a guy, Bill, oh golly, funny little guy. He was hooked up with uh, Richard Somers, it was his connection, and he was kind of the first little director of the wine growers. The Blosser or Nelson? N N Bill Nelson, I think. Yes. I think. He lived in Eugene. Yeah, he was, he sort of hung around the Umcor region. Yeah, he then... was, he was a friend of Richard's and he hung mm -hmm. out down here and he was pretty tight, closely knit to the Umqua uh, area. And he um, was a funny little guy. He, I think he ended up like moving to D.C. or something as a... For the uh, national wine... Something yeah. to mm -hmm. uh, to work that as, you know, uh, at some level. But... Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, I and I... We kind of, you know, in those years um, kind of initiated or... or the barrel tour that we still do, you know, in the Umqua, which has grown out of control. It's, you know, but then it was like there were six wineries. So you had six buses and you went around all, all the wineries and it was, you know, it was easy. But mm -hmm. now it's like it's just hard. It's unworkable. Um, and, you know, at the time that I was on the wine growers, you know, it was like I was I was president of, of the Umqua Valley one for a number of years, because in those days, if anybody said they'd be president, they got the job for life until you died or or gave it up. I mean, right. it was, you know, and uh, but in those days, it was like, you know, uh, I had the key to the uh, post office box, and if anybody picked up the mail, I did it. If anybody made an agenda for a meeting, which hardly we ever had agendas for our meetings, <laughs> I would do it. If there were minutes, I would do the minutes. I mean, we didn't have any kind of technical help or, you know, any kind of secretarial help or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It was just like, I don't know, five or six of us that, you know, tried to do things and come up with ideas. And, you know, the Umqua Valley, everybody had their own little sub wine grower, you know, uh, association. The Umqua Valley is one of the few that's really maintained over the years and grown over the years. And um, uh, a lot of them have dissolved or, you know, not just people lost time, maybe ran out of time. I don't know why, but a lot of the little organizations did not survive. Now, Southern Oregon, further down south now, of course, that's really grown in the last few years. They've got a, a lot of little wine grower groups going on down there that are pretty active uh, and pretty much based around marketing, 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 you know, mm -hmm. which I guess most of them are. But um, I have of late not been really involved. Um, there's there's this, I really shouldn't say this, but I mean, there's a certain part of me that, you know, is like, 
I think it's great and and you, there's only so much time that you have in your life and I am pretty happy to pay my dues to be supportive of and be a member of the organization but I haven't been a real active member for a number of years now and um, and some of that comes from the fact that there are so many people now <laughs> that you know every time new people come in they seem to get real involved and so there's, there's a lot of involvement but I not so much for me I get involved as far as you know supporting the the events and you know and so forth but uh, I'm not you know down in the trenches <clears throat> anymore well, it sounds like you paid your dues. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of look at it that way, but then sometimes you go, well, you know, maybe it's time to pay again, you know, because it's been a while. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm hanging tough. <laughs> uh, what would you say is your favorite part about this whole business? Well, you know, I really do enjoy meeting People, you know, I mean, if you go and look at our little guest book in the tasting room, you know, we get some very interesting people from around the world that come in here, you know, and and it's it's a lot of fun. Even just earlier today, I had a couple from the Sonoma area that were, um, you know, doing a a week quick trip up the coast and down. I-5 and going to Ashland for some plays. I mean, just fun people, nice mm -hmm. people. And, and um, last summer I was out here one morning, pretty early before hours, and this family drives in and they're from Germany and um, they were, you know, just out to check out the wineries. Their 16-year-old clearly had the handle on English everybody else was struggling but they were just so friendly and so nice and just you know wanted to taste wine and see the countryside and I mean you know you so you you run into people from all over it that's probably my favorite part is you know the people that you meet mm -hmm. um, and the connections that you make with those people you know we had some people from Argentina that were in here last year and they had their whole trip book mapped out they wanted to look at the oldest wine of vineyards that they could find in Oregon. And we came up as one of, they were going to Henry's, they were going to uh, the River's Edge wine vineyard, they were coming here. I, who did I say? I suggested someone else, they said, no, it's not old enough. You know, they, they were only looking for the old, you know, hmm. vineyards. Mm -hmm. So that was fun, you know, it's always, it's always fun. And we got your your customers like this, this Russian guy and his wife who live in Coos Bay. He's a doctor, or he was in his career, and um, they, oh, they're Russian Orthodox or something. Anyway, they go to church somewhere up the valley, and they come through here like at least once a month, and they'll stop and buy their little bottle of wine and and go on, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they're fun people. You know, so it's kind of that's what's really enjoyable about it. Mm -hmm. Well, Elkton is one of the newest AVAs in Oregon. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, <clears throat> I have said, and that's been kind of our, you know, kind of catchphrase 
in marketing is that, you know, Elkton is at the north end of the Umpqua Valley. We are the cooler part of the Umpqua Valley. We are kind of, um, you know, unique and to ourselves because we have this little coastal influence, this little gorge that runs out to the coast. Uh, I think that it's great that we get some recognition for that. Um, because, you know, when you say you're from the Umpqua, you know, uh, of course, the, the big wineries, the, uh, you know, the Abacella, the Henry's, mm -hmm. the, the Melrose, the Hillcrest, those folks are the ones that jump out to most people when they think of the Umpqua. And yet, um, we're, we're deserving of our own little um, moment here, I think, you know, mm -hmm. so it wasn't an easy process to get. <clears throat> it took several years, actually, which I don't think is is probably normal. I mean, I think that due to some issues um, and people retiring and our application being forgotten a little bit here and there along the mm -hmm. line, um, it took a little longer than it probably should have. But to it's not like they just give out AVAs because you apply and they go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, and, you know, sure. I mean, they really do expect you to show that you have some uniqueness and some either, you know, weather or soil or some kind of um, uniqueness that is um, warrants it being an AVA. And uh, consequently, Hmm. Um, I think it's great and I think, you know, it's, it's deserving of Elkton and I think we can monopolize on it to a degree and, you know, tout it and, you know, be proud of the fact that Elkton is, in fact, the newest AVA in the state and, and we're having fun with it. And I'm amazed at how many people actually, you know, that was one of the things when we first talked about um, <clears throat> applying for that was, you know, it's like, well, is it going to really make any difference? And is anybody going to know or, you know, and as it turns out, um, a surprising number of people will either mention it when they come into the tasting room or if you mention it, they'll be aware of the fact right. that, you know, and it's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. So it's been good so far. So far, so good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, since your involvement in the industry, how have you seen it evolve and where do you think it's going to go? Uh, you know, again, another, I mean, that's, that's the, the, the $64,000 question. Um, but, um, and, and every time somebody comes along and plants another 400 acre vineyard somewhere, you go, oh my God, you know, is this... Are we going to hit saturation point? Where is there really the market out there for this? I mean, is it? But, you know, um, I think that Oregon has done a great job marketing itself and getting recognition for itself. <clears throat> um, I think that it's going to only grow. Uh, my son travels a lot, he's all over the country, and um, you know, when he's talking to people that he's from Oregon, you know, almost the first thing they say is, oh, Oregon wines, Oregon Pinot Noir, you know? I mean, it, and it, it used to be, oh, Oregon, where it rains all the time, you know? I mean, <laughs> but, you know, that's really changed. And uh, so given that, um, 
people are so aware of Oregon wines and are so anxious to taste and to uh, uh, experience uh, Oregon wines, um, I think that, that we've not seen the end of our growth. I really do. We get people like, talking about people that come in and visit, you know, we had people a um, couple of years ago when our gas prices kind of started really getting high and out of control, they were here from London. They'd flown into San Francisco, rented an Escalade, and we're going to drive to Oregon to do wines because gas was so cheap. You know, I mean, so it's all a matter of perspective, you know. Right. But, I mean, it's like people are, uh, they're looking for, for the Oregon wine experience. And I, I think it's, uh, um, we're at the, uh, I shouldn't say the beginning, but, you know, I mean, we're at, uh, at a growth point and I think it's going to continue. I really do. Um, and, and, you know, and we're quite small. And, and I think that's another thing about the Oregon wine um, industry that, that people really like is they like to be able to go out and find some small places, places that um, are unique that they can't go into your local, uh, you know, Safeway, Albertsons, uh, Fred Meyer and find on the shelf, you know, mm -hmm. they, they like finding the little places and taking home a bottle of wine that, you know, none of their friends have seen or heard of before, you know, so I think Oregon has that going for it too. Yeah. Well, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I probably should have? Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm. Or any parting thoughts on your end? Um, well, you know, parting thoughts, you know, I, I, I think it's great that, that some history is being recorded and, um, and, and documented and, uh, you know, because it's grown so fast that people have really kind of forgotten about you know where it started and how it got here and um, you know now uh, at a time when like I first planted the vineyard I, I mean I knew so many people in in the industry you know and now I don't know hardly any of them you know so I mean it's uh, even in the Umqua there were six wineries when I planted and now there's probably 30 you know I, I don't even know I've lost track and in endless vineyards. I mean, and you know, there's probably 30 wineries and and half again as many vineyards. You know, so uh, I think it's great that, you know, I, I hope it's not too late to scramble around and get this history put together and sorted out. And um, you know, and and I'm sure it's not, but it takes somebody to do that. And mm -hmm. so. Thank you. That's it's good job. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for <clears throat> taking the time and having us record you and sharing that piece of history with us. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. I hope it. I hope you something you can use. <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. 
The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.